Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. And we are here for the very last hidden gem of our summer series repost. It is now school again. (laughs) It is now going into fall, and we will be back with you next week to talk about what God has done for us this summer. But right now, we are bringing you our very last hidden gem from Brenna Naufel, who actually shared this fall. And Brenna was actually one of those stories that contacted us through the website, and you were able to talk with her through Zoom. And I'm so thankful that she reached out because it was a story that we had never had before. And it was really about her and her husband walking through her infidelity and how God met them both there. It is an incredible story of healing in a relationship. And our Patreon insiders today actually get to hear Amy Grody talk with Brenna and discuss where she is now and all that God has done through their their marriage and their family since she shared her story. So you don't want to miss that. And thank you to everyone who has joined Patreon this summer. You guys are helping us launch our ministry in more communities and helping us share stories of hope found in Jesus literally around the world. And so if you are not an insider, we are so close to reaching our goal for the summer of doubling the number of patrons that we have, please go to storytellerslive.org today and join Patreon or simply scroll right down in the show notes right now and click that link and become a Patreon insider. Here's Brenna. Great. Well, thank you so much for um, allowing me to share my story uh, with you and Storytellers Live. And I'm just excited to finally uh, start sharing just all that God has done in my life and just super grateful to be here. So just jumping in, my name is Brenna Knopfel. I live in Colorado Springs and I grew up uh, an Air Force brat along with my younger brother. And when we were uh, stationed in Michigan, I was eight years old at the time and my brother was six. My dad actually wound up having uh, an affair uh, during that time and he got the other woman pregnant. My parents um, got a divorce shortly thereafter. My brother and I stayed uh, in Michigan there a couple of months with my dad to finish off the school year while my mom went to Washington State to kind of get her life in order before we would eventually move out to be with her. And so, you know, sometimes we live with my mom and sometimes we live with my dad. Sometimes my brother lived in one place and I lived in the other. I wound up going to uh, four different high schools, you know, growing up. And so there wasn't a lot of solid foundation in those kind of awkward, hard years of just community and friendship. And so especially for kind of a shy, you know, awkward girl like me at the time. And, but my mom, uh, after the divorce, she wound up giving her life to Christ. And so from that point on, we pretty much grew up in the church and I wound up giving my life to Christ as well. When I was 16 years old at a Christian Bible camp. And at that time, even there was uh, someone that shared, you know, some people are called into the ministry and some of you may even be called to be pastor's wives. And I felt really strongly at the time that I would, I would be a pastor's wife. So even though I had that from the Lord, I also was very easy for me to put God on the back burner when it came to guys. And, and, and so I, you know, throughout high school and even college, um, boys were something I just saw a lot of affirmation from. I wasn't certainly aware of all of this at the time, but a lot of, you know, acceptance and affirmation from, and it just wasn't really working. I dated guys that didn't even believe God existed, let alone were on the you know road to be a pastor. So in college, kind of towards the end of my college, I finally just surrendered relationships to the Lord and 
was tired. I don't want to manipulate anymore. I just wanted whatever God thought was best for me. And I just told God I was at a Christian leadership training program in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And at the very beginning of this program, I said, God, I don't want to date anyone ever again <laughs> unless they intend to marry me. And uh, I just, I want you to choose. You have the whole world to choose from who's best for me. And you know who that is. And and so I did, I just truly gave that to the Lord. And uh, lo and behold, in that very first week, I met a boy named Garrett. We got to know each other, really just a brotherly and kind of sisterly, encouraging kind of relationship. And within a few weeks, I really felt like the Lord was putting in my heart that that this would be the guy that I would marry. And I'm like, God, I just, I just told you, like, I'm not doing this anymore, you know? And so I was able to continue to give it back to the Lord and he kind of continued to give it back to me. And after about eight weeks of knowing each other at this Christian leadership training program, Garrett, and just as friends, but we're being very intentional with our time with one another too. Garrett asked me, what do you think of our relationship? You know? And I said, why? I really want to date you, but not unless you intend to marry me. I said, well, I do. That's what I want to do. And I want to get married and I want to be in ministry together. And, um, and so that's what we did. By the end of the summer, we were engaged and we got married, I think maybe about eight months after that. We lived in Austin, Texas during kind of our engagement. And when we got married for the first three years of our marriage, we were married in 1998. And our goal was to really work towards going on staff with a missions organization that our church was a part of. And Garrett had really just felt like that was kind of a new direction for his life and kind of his calling. And so a few years after we got married in 2001, uh, Garrett was approved to go on staff um, with the missions organization, and we decided to move to Columbia, Missouri, um, to go on staff with a college campus church there. And that's also where my family lived. And having kind of not been around my family at times and so much, it was kind of a place of just trying to reconnect and be home in a sense, to have a home. I didn't really have a place I called home. And that entailed us beginning to raise financial support. That's kind of how our missions organization works. And and I didn't realize at the time just how much I would miss this community that we had built in Austin, Texas. You know, we were part of this church. It's a ton of young people, just great friendships. You know, we all lived in the same apartment complex and we just did life together and encouraged one another. And that was really the first time that I had had that. I didn't realize, I think, just how important that was, you know, in our lives. And so I, we really missed that. And we felt really alone during the support raising process. It was kind of our organization's way of doing things was go off and you focus on raising your financial support. So you you don't really get involved with community, right? You don't become plugged into where you're even going to be served, you know, serving. And so it's just really lonely during that time. Also during this time, I started to feel like a distance from Garrett that I didn't quite understand. And it was hard. You know, he raised financial support for two years while I was working full time. And it was just, it was a very dry season. And I, during that time as well, had just stopped really spending time with the Lord. You know, I think I got to the place in my relationship with the Lord, like, like we were good. Like, why do I have to keep kind of putting in the effort? <laughs> it's almost, you know, that you, you kind of think to yourself without really realizing you're thinking to yourself. And so I just tried to kind of coast along and thinking there was nothing really wrong with that. But then eventually, you know, I'm not taking my thoughts captive and began to fantasize about being pursued. You know, I worked in the athletic department at the University of Missouri with a bunch of guys. And it was, you know, it wasn't even fantasies about any kind of physical, you know, interaction or anything like that, but truly was 
just being desired and being pursued and seen, I think, in a way where I would let my mind wander. And, but eventually, you know, that opened the door for other things. And there was one man that I honestly just wanted to get to know because he owned a company in town and I wanted to kind of get my foot in the door at that company. And, um, and he wound up flirting with me. And that just set off all kinds of feelings. Honestly, it was exhilarating, you know, that it, it kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, but I, it just, it went beyond just kind of this I- idea that maybe somebody would want to, you know, see me and pursue me to somebody actually in real life, seeing me, pursuing me. And I, and I allowed myself, I just kind of kept inching towards this line, right. That I thought I would never cross after all my dad had an affair. Like I was never going to have an affair, but I inched towards, you know, a very unhealthy place instead of towards God, godliness and holiness. I was pursuing these other feelings and things to try to fulfill me. And I allowed myself to be alone uh, with this man um, at this one event. And he wound up kissing me and that just blew the line out the window and just kind of all help broke loose, if you will. And that led then to a full-blown affair with him. And I remained in that sin for a long time. And I tried to end the affair so many times, but at the same time, it was providing this kind of temporary satisfaction that would, you know, seem like it filled you up for just a little bit. And then that would go away. And so I would go back to it over and over and over again, but then it never ultimately um, satisfied nor what, you know, was what it should be. And, and Garrett had no idea. And it was, you know, during this time, I, even though I kept going back to it, I also felt incredibly dead. My heart just physically constantly ached. There was times I would even cry after we had, I had been together with this man. I had a couple of panic attacks, which I had never struggled with during this time. I began to have issues with my nerves. I actually was diagnosed with small fiber neuropathy during this time period. And then nearly every night I experienced spiritual attacks, which I was so blinded at the time. I didn't really recognize it for what it was, but every night as I would start to try to fall asleep, I would feel as though I was being oppressed and that my voice was taking from me. Like I could feel everything on my inside, try to crawl out of bed and crawl to the door. Cause I always went to bed before Garrett did. He's in college ministry, stayed up way longer than I did <laughs> and just call out for, for my husband, for Garrett. And I, I couldn't speak and I would physically try to do it. And I couldn't yell. And this happened for nearly every night. It was just horrifying sometimes multiple times a night but yet I remained. And so fast forward several years, a couple of months before our 11 year anniversary, because the affair started when we had been married six for about six years. So shortly before our 11 year anniversary, Garrett actually um, sat me down on a couch in our living room. And he said that he had something that he needed to confess. And he confessed to me that for the past eight years of our marriage, that he had been struggling with pornography. At the time when he confessed that, I Part of me was glad because I finally had kind of an answer to this question of why I felt some distance from him. I was happy having been entangled in my own sin for so long that he was trying to come into the light and, you know, trying to put it to death and, and confessing and just wanting to really repent of that sin. Yet I also had been hiding this horrific thing that I had been doing. And so there was a part of me that didn't feel like I was allowed to feel hurt by it in a sense, or really even be able to grieve it because I had my own stuff. Right. And I, there was so much in me that wanted to confess my sin to him as well at that time. And yet I didn't, I was, I was too scared. And I had believed so many lies for so long that I had 
sin greatly. I sinned way too greatly for far too long that God would never take me back, that there was no hope for me. And really, I think one of the biggest ones is that this is just who I am. This is who I am. And so why, why fight it in a sense? And so I didn't confess at the time and I had still been getting, you know, tied in the affair and getting pulled back into it again. And, um, but a few months after he had confessed, I actually was um, confronted by a previous coworker about the affair who had kind of heard rumors and things to, that I needed to tell Kara and confess. And, and even there was some things surrounding this guy's confrontation that I was wary about, it ultimately is what I really needed. Um, and God used it for me to finally come face to face with my sin and confess to Garrett what I had done. And so after five years of having an affair for five years, so nearly half of our entire marriage I finally confessed to Garrett. And there were so many things that I felt during that confession. There was incredible remorse, you know, a ton of grief, sorrow, just overcome with sorrow, you know, coming face to face with all this hurt and that um, I had caused and was about to cause and all the uncertainty that came with it was just really overwhelming. Yeah. At the same time, once I did finally confess, I just felt such peace and I felt joy and I felt just freedom because I didn't want to be doing the things that I had been doing. And yet, so now I just, I was finally free. And so it just kind of began this season of freedom for me. And yet at the same time, I had just confessed to Garrett. And so now he's having, you know, he's kind of put in a prison almost of his own of just hurt and uncertainty and guilt and betrayal and just all the things that he would feel too. And um, so, you know, he's on staff with the church at the time. And so the church, he's one of the even kind of senior leaders and um, the church made plans pretty quickly for him to take an immediate sabbatical and also tell the rest of the church leaders what I had done, you know, like hashtag fun times. Like everybody's now about to know what Brenna has been doing and people we've been ministering to and people we've been doing ministry with. And so just a couple of days after I confessed, Garrett went to meet with one of his friends and fellow staff members to tell him kind of first before this bigger announcement to this church leadership team was done, what had happened. And so it was kind of the first time I was alone at the house, just waiting, anxiously horrified that he was having to tell other people what I had done about my affair and, you know, just all the feelings of shame and guilt that come with that. And I was just really anxious for him to get home and just kind of how'd it go? And, you know, like not, not a fun conversation to have or feeling for, for your sin just to be publicly known for all these people. And so he went to that and he finally came home. And when he did, he brought a dozen pink roses with him. You know, he had committed right away after my confession to work towards forgiveness. And I think it was just, you know, kind of what the first steps for him to choose love, to choose what God would have for us in this, you know, and he mentioned when he came in that a storm was kind of rolling in, it was starting to rain. And we just reflected on how the summer that we first met in Myrtle beach, that we would actually go down to the beach when the storms would come in and just watch the rain and just reminded us of God's just bigness and his awesomeness and just how amazing God is. And so he came in and we opened up the blinds to our windows and we sat in the living room floor and we turned off the lights and we just held hands in silence um, as it rained. And as we sat there, I just felt like God put the 
verses to a couple of songs in my heart. Uh, the first being uh, Grace Like Rain, which says, Hallelujah, Grace Like Rain falls down on me. And Hallelujah, all my, stin- all my stains are washed away. And the second song was actually our wedding song um, called A Page is Turned by Bebo Norman. It says, the God of second chance will pick them up and let them dance in a world that is not kind. And all this time, they're sharing with the one that will hold them up when they come undone beneath the storm, beneath the sun. And as soon as the lyrics to those songs were laid on my heart, the rain came down harder and faster. It was a clear, visible, obvious difference to me. And it was coming down so hard and so fast. I seriously had thought, like, I think our windows are going to break. It was crazy. And I just felt in that moment that God was just shouting to my heart and to my soul that this is my grace for you. That every single dirty thing that I had done, all the sin, all the mistakes, all of it is washed away. You are spotless, you are new, and that his grace is sufficient for me. And that not only that, but that he is the God of second chance. That even to the millionth time that I've messed up, that he would give me a second chance. And that I felt like he was just assuring me in that heart, even those early days, that he would see me and Garrett through the storm and we would once again be held up and dance again. So I'm just really grateful for just those sweet words from him. And so a couple of days, it's all just what's in kind of first week of my confession. Um, a couple of days after that happened, I actually was on a plane to Rome, to Italy, which sounds really confusing, but I had planned a trip to Italy with my mom months in advance. And both Garrett and our pastor thought it would still be good for me to go. It kind of give us maybe a little bit of time to breathe and process. And so I went and God did some amazing things there as well. But on that plane, you know, just this kind of week leading up to it, I just really felt like, you know, God, like, why, why did I do what I did? Not to go back and try to pin what my decisions on anything or blame my past for my mistakes. But I wanted to better understand me. You know, I think Pascal has a quote that just says, we know ourselves so little. And that's how I was feeling in that time. And I had read a quote by John Eldridge that just says, a wound that goes unacknowledged and unwept is a wound that cannot heal. So I was just like, God, what are my wounds? What are they? And I felt like he was pointing me back to even my parents' divorce and I'm 33 at the time sitting on this plane and I was eight when my parents got divorced and everything turned out great. You know, we all got through, you know, my, my dad married um, the, this woman. She's my stepmom. She has been for years. I have two wonderful, you know, younger half sisters and, you know, we all love each other and, and kumbaya, like why, what's the big deal? Like, what do we need to even look at here? Right. But yeah, that's why I felt like he was kind of pointing me. And so I, opened up this book called Adult Child of Divorce. And I read the first chapter and I flipped to the back of the workbook to answer the questions. And to every single question, my answer was, I don't remember. I don't remember. And I got really frustrated, just kind of set it aside. And I said, I opened up my journal. Um, I said, God, just help me to remember. And I'm not even talking about like repressed memories or anything like that, but just, it was a very disjointed childhood. You know, I just like, what, what do I need to remember or reflect on here? And then just instantly, I just started writing just memory after memory after memory and just kind of all over the place. They weren't necessarily all related, but 17 pages later, 
of just memories in a very cramped hand and tears strolling down my face. Poor people on the plane next to me probably had no idea what was going on. But I think I just started to begin to paint a picture of places that we could look at and start with, you know. And and so once we got back from Italy, we started couples counseling. I started a lot of individual counseling. And it was really uh, through counseling and just a lot of sweet lessons from the Lord that I began to acknowledge the wounds and to weep and to heal. And I learned just even you know, a lot about core beliefs, you know, like just those deep down in your heart beliefs that you have that you don't even know that you have, how our experiences affect those beliefs. And then how those beliefs then in turn affect our thoughts, which are th- you know affect our feelings and ultimately influence our actions and our behavior. And I, I didn't want to just look at my actions behavior. I wanted to go back and look, you know, what where is this all coming from? And so in looking back at my experience with the divorce, even though my dad in particular never ever said any of these things to me, the indirect messages to my heart because of what had happened were that that I was I'm not enough. I'm not worth fighting for. Another little girl is more important to me now because when she got pregnant, that was with my younger sister. I'm not wanted. And then I'm a burden. You know, so these had become like the deep core beliefs that I held about myself. And when I was even challenged to consider also that what my true heartfelt view of God is, again, not just what I learned in Sunday school, not that I know Jesus loves me, but when I am alone in a room with God, where am I in relation to him? What is the look on his face? How do I feel being there with him? And when I thought of him in that context, I realized that my heartfelt view of God was that he is the God that doesn't see me and he's the God that doesn't care. Even if he did notice me in that room, he didn't care that I was there. And so these things had just affected so much more than just the beliefs about myself, but obviously, you know, how I viewed God and how I interacted with God. You know, along with my parents' divorce, there was just a couple other moments that just really solidified, you know, these beliefs in my heart. I was really acting up in seventh grade and my pastor, my mom got advice from our pastor, kind of what to do with me. And he suggested that she kicked me out, you know, and so she did. And I had to go live with her parents and I wound up just being a couple of weeks. I thought it was longer, but she says it wasn't. And so that just spoke to my heart again, right? Like now I'm too much and I'm not worth fighting for I'm, and I'm a burden. And when I was there one day after school, my Grandma took a fly swatter and she was hitting me with it just constantly and just said, You are such a burden to your mom. You know, so I was getting all these indirect messages, but then my grandma just flat out came out, you know, she just said it. And so I just really kind of hated myself during that time. And so I just was beginning to to go back and feel and process for this little girl and have compassion on her and also understand why I became so, even at 33 at the time, not 33 now, but at the time became so easily offended and felt hurt. Like if somebody pointed out that I did something wrong or maybe just maybe not even the way that they would do it, like load the dishwasher. I mean, it could be a smallest thing. It would really just trigger me because it wasn't just that I did something wrong. It was because I, I am wrong. Existence is wrong. It's not right. I am a burden, you know? So guilt, guilt is about something that we have done, but shame is about who I am. And shame was saying that I'm not okay. I was just really using all these things to just teach me and heal me. And a couple of months after my confession, 
Garrett, even though he was on sabbatical, we still wound up going on a staff retreat with the church to Estes Park, Colorado. And I went with him. He was not about to leave me alone. We were nowhere near that, right? Trust was totally obliterated and it would take a really long time to build. And I wanted to go and be there. And, you know, it was the first time I'd seen a couple of people from the church kind of from a distance that knew, you know, what I had done. And so there was a part of me that just felt like I was walking around with the giant scarlet, you know, giant scarlet A on my chest. Like there goes the adulteress, you know, and I think God was just really sweet, even in that time to just, just allow me just to hear him and who he says I am because he doesn't, I'm not defined. I'm not um, by my mistakes and my sin. My identity is not adulterous. My identity is in him. And he says that I am his precious daughter and child of God. And so in that though, I still wanted just to kind of get away and get some time with the Lord. And, you know, it's just, just still hard <laughs> walking around kind of feeling that way and ask some friends what would, you know, be something good to do. And they suggested I take a hike um, to Moraine Park out there. And so I did, and I just gave that time to the Lord. And so it was one of the most profound encounters I had with God. And I, as I took this hike, he really taught me kind of four things throughout. And I, so as I started the hike, I walked by some kind of tall grass and I heard a rustling in the grass and I thought, oh no, <laughs> what if there's a snake in there? And what if it bites me? And what if it's poisonous? And, you know, I'm thinking all the things. And I heard the question, well, what if it is poisonous? And I said, well, we have to get the poison out or I would die. You know, I felt like God was saying, exactly. Brene, you've been bitten by a snake. We have to get the poison out. There's poison inside of you. And it's, it's the hurt done to you. It's the lies that you believe. It's, you know, the own sin that you've wrestled with. If we don't get the poison out, it'll cause death of joy and of freedom and of your life. You know, and for all that time, I just put it, you know, been putting a bandaid on the snake bite. And he was saying, no, we got to get the poison out. So that was lesson number one. And I was walked further along on this hike. Thankful I didn't actually get bitten by a snake to learn that lesson. I was coming upon where they kept the horses to go, you know, like to take people on little hikes and things that I specifically want that way to see the horses. Because in my mind, like we're in Colorado, like wide open spaces, mountains. I had envisioned horses like galloping across the plain with the wind blowing through their manes and that I would have some kind of God moment with these horses, right? Like they would see me from across the way and come over to me and I don't know, but I seriously, that's what I kind of expected. And I envisioned coming to these horses. And so as I came around the bend, I saw this first horse and I kind of got upset. I'm like, why? He's not even like looking at me. Like, like what's going on? You know, like, look, like, give me something here, buddy. And as I got closer, I could see why he wasn't really acknowledging me. Right. He was tied very tightly by the bit to the pole in front of him. We couldn't even move his head. And, uh, and then I saw horse after horse, all tied by the bit to the pole in front of them. And I got really angry. I, I was legitimately upset. I was like, God, this is, this is wrong. This is not what these, they weren't created for this. And I felt like he just put Psalm 32, nine on my heart, which says, do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. He just continued to speak to me saying like, Brenna, you were like this horse. When I was enslaved in that sin, I created you to run freely in my love for you, to run in my freedom for you. But this is how you are living. And there was no freedom in that life. You know, those horses were created for so much for 
but more importantly, I was created for so much more. So that was kind of lesson number two, and it continued along the path. And one thing that did not occur to me as I chose this path was that it was the path that the horses were taking people on. And it's not like they have a little bathroom break before they go down the path. And so I started to encounter massive pile after pile of crap along this path to supposedly this beautiful place I'm supposed to be going. And was constantly looking down, just trying to avoid like the poop mines I didn't want to step on, you know, to to get to the place where I was trying to go. And so I took a little break on a rock and I felt like God just even speak to me, even with the crap. And like what he was saying is like, Brenna, life is a lot like this path. There's a lot of crap along the way. If you constantly look down, you're going to miss out on the beauty that I have surrounded with, I've surrounded you with. You're going to lose hope of what I have for you at the end of the path in the future. You have to look up to me. So yes, I continued on the crap path to Moraine Park with lesson number three. I'm still trying to avoid the poop mines and I did, you know, and I finally made it to Moraine Park and it was very lovely. But once I was there, I wasn't quite sure how to finish the loop. Like I, all I had with me was this little blue Xerox copy of some squiggly lines on it that made no sense to me whatsoever for, for a map. For whatever reason, I didn't want to go back the way that I came. And so I, I was kind of lost. I didn't know where to go, but kept kind of trying different ways, looking like I knew where I was going, but I didn't realize I probably had to ask somebody for help, but I was definitely afraid to ask anyone for help or for information. Like that was my shame. You know, after all, if I'm just a dirty pesky fly, you know, like my grandma kind of indicated with her fly swatter or I had felt abandoned by both my parents at different times. Like, why would anybody ever want to help me? Like, I'm not worth, I'm not worth their time or their energy. I am just a burden. So I cannot ask for help. But I just didn't know what else to do. And so I kind of was forced to. And so I finally asked this woman, like, hey, do you know where I'm going? <laughs> like, I don't know where to go. And she looked at her map and we still didn't know where to go. She eventually was sweet and just we hopped in her car and she drove me back to the YMCA. But she said, even as we were driving, she's like, I know, I, I noticed you before kind of walking in. I really thought that you knew where you were going. You just looked like you knew where you were going. Probably just God just used that again that, you know, what masks we wear. But um, to say, you know, Brenna, you're going to get lost sometimes or you're going to take a wrong turn. You might get your foot off the path. You have to surround yourself with people and community that can point you in the right direction again. Because in the past, I was on the right path. And I'd taken one wrong turn, it's led to another wrong turn, and I wound up somewhere very, very different than I had ever, ever intended to be or ever wanted to be. Certainly not where God had intended me to be. So there's just so many stories of how God cared for me and taught me and how he tended to my heart. There's so many times I did really feel like that little eight-year-old girl self. I was able to mourn for her and have compassion for her and weep for her. And so even like where where do I see God now? You know, how has that changed? Well, like now when I'm alone in a room with him, I'm, I'm sitting on his lap and my head is on his chest and he strokes my hair and he collects the tears that are running down my cheek and he sees me and I can look in his eyes and I can see his delight in me. And it's just such a sweet, intimate picture of who God really is because God isn't who my feelings say that he is, right? So that's just where, you know, where I'm at with God now. And so what happened to me to Garrett, you know, me and Garrett, right? I kind of, you know, <laughs> went down this other road, but 
sometimes it felt like there was no end in sight with just the pain and the heartache and the sorrow. I felt like I was able to give myself permission to go back and grieve and forgive the hurt that he had caused also with his pornography. And we did set boundaries and things in place for him too, and trust how to rebuild, you know, be rebuilt on that end as well. He was able to work through all the hurt and betrayal that I had caused from the affair. And of course, we had a lot of boundaries in place for me too, a lot of baby steps towards working, rebuilding trust again. And after two and a half years of us working through these things, just choosing day after day, you know, like we we didn't do it all perfectly, right? But we chose to do it with the one who was perfect and that made all the difference. So after two and a half years, even though I believe that he was taking little steps every day towards forgiveness was when he was finally able to say, I forgive you. And, and it was finished. On the... um just several months after that, on the three-year anniversary of my confession, we renewed our wedding vows to one another. Garrett was ordained a pastor during this time. You know, it was one of the things that I had didn't know if I had cost him. That was something he had really dreamed about and hoped for because of what I had done. But he was ordained a pastor around that time. And then also after grieving that it may have cost us ever having a family, Again, because of what I'd done, like, like, would he want to stay married to me, let alone, you know, have a family? A few months after uh, we renewed our vows, he said that he was ready to try. And um, and so we did. We got pregnant right away. We uh, gave birth to a beautiful baby boy uh, the following year. We named him Eben Gottlieb, which means rock of God's love. And um, so as of the time of this recording, we've been now married 24 years. We just celebrated our anniversary a few weeks ago. And then as of Tomorrow from the date of this recording is the 10-year anniversary of our renewing of our vows. But in 2019, we had kind of a light in the midst of all that darkness too. We felt like God put it on our hearts to try to have a baby again. And so we did. We got pregnant again right away. And we were actually able to have a healthy pregnancy and gave birth at 44 years old (laughs) to our COVID baby. In June 2020, we gave birth to another little girl. We named her Zoe Grace, so Life of Grace we felt like that is um, what God has given us. Again, there's, you know, there's times of darkness and times of light and God has been faithful through it all. But um, what I'd really just love to leave with my story is, um, you know, maybe whoever's listening, maybe you've had an affair, maybe you haven't, but maybe there's perhaps something else that's keeping you from experiencing just the freedom and the joy that God has created you for. And so, you know, maybe you have poison inside of you that you've just been putting a bandaid on. And you need to get that poison out. And that could just be sharing with others, maybe something that's happened to you, or maybe it's something that you have done or the lies that you continue to believe. But I believe God's saying no more band-aids. Maybe you're enslaved to some other kind of sin and you're like that horse that's tied to the pole. I know what it's like to be there. You may just feel like you're just stuck so down deep in the pit and you don't think that there's a way out, that there's no hope for you. Maybe life has just been filled with nothing but one crap pile after the next. And you've stopped looking up to God and you've lost the hope that there's a plan and a purpose for you. And even in your suffering, maybe you've taken the wrong turn and you know you need to get back on the right path. You're taking so many wrong turns already and you're just somewhere very different than where you're intended to be or what you've created for. And I'm just, I'm just here to say that no matter where you find yourself, that it's not too late. There is hope. God is the hope of second chance. And he longs to run out to meet you, to pick you up and to let you dance, to look on you with delight in his eyes and to bathe you in his reign of grace, to put a robe upon your shoulders and a ring upon your finger because you are his and you are home and that is where you belong. 
Brenna's story was so powerful, not only because it was about marriage, which is something so many of us can relate to, but just the the struggles. And we were talking before about so many times you hear about the husband having the affair, when in reality, statistically, there are so many women that have probably walked this road Mm -hmm. as well. But we are so thankful that God is a God of hope and a God of second chances and that this story has such redemption. I love a happy ending. And I was thankful for the happy ending. But I tell you what impressed upon me was just the slow fade in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times we get into a rhythm with our Mm -hmm. spouse and we do take him or her for granted. We don't pour into the marriage. I would pause right there and just think to yourself, okay, is this the time that I kind of need to to take a little check? Because it is a slow fade. But I did love that at the end, she just said, you know, we keep choosing us. And that is what you have to do. I'm coming up on 28 years of marriage. You just have to keep choosing each other. I was just going to say, one of the things that, as you were talking about that, Lindy, is just the things that we bring into our marriage, the insecurities. Mm -hmm. I mean, she talked about, she had to go back and ask herself, why did I even have the affair in the first place? And I thought that was really big. And honestly, that all related back to her relationship with God and not feeling enough and not feeling good enough and feeling like a burden and all of these things. And that, and she had taken those feelings and transferred them to her relationship with God. And then she was looking for her husband to fulfill things that he wasn't created to fulfill. Exactly. So to me, it was just so interesting of, you know, how she had to take that step back. That's what I was going to say. It was a complete journey and self-exploration, really. Like, what do I really believe? So few of us ever dig that deep or take the time to sit and listen. And, you know, that even when you share your story, like Brenna did for us, that's part of the process of writing your story. It's why I think it's so powerful and how God moves so powerfully in stories is you're going back and reflecting on why you did the things you did and where God showed up Mm -hmm. in those. And I think part of the power too is being still Mm. and being quiet and taking the time. Yeah. Shame is one of Satan's greatest weapons against us. And he wants to attack our identity as women. And he wants us to Mm -hmm. be shameful and not share. And that's That's not bringing light into the situation. Yeah, I'd love the quote that she said was, guilt is about what I've done, but shame is about what I think about myself. And, you know, I think that, like you said, Lindy, Satan wants us to sit in that because we're ineffective for God's kingdom when we're sitting in that shame. And, you know, maybe God's not calling you to announce your sin on a podcast. (laughs) You know, he did. That was a journey that you said, Robin, that he took Brenna through that. I mean, he finally said, it's time for you to share. And Brenna, we are so thankful for your realness and your your rawness and your vulnerability to bring hope to other women who maybe who have walked through this. Maybe they're in it right now and they don't know how to get out of it. Maybe they think their marriage could never be saved. And she just is bringing so much hope to those women. And that hope would have never come if she would have sat in her shame and her guilt Mm -hmm. and never... And just swept it under the rug and moved on with her husband. So I'm just, I'm so thankful for that. And maybe some of you, you know, at the at the end, we talked about the four points that she made on her walk. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all took notes on that. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the parts that really spoke to me because I think, again, when we're quiet and we're listening, God is speaking to us mm-hmm. all the time. And for her, I mean, he literally spoke through all the things she saw around her. Horse crap. Horse, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But he is always speaking, and I think so often we discount it for just 
what's happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that it's just my imagination. But but God really speaks that simply when mm-hmm. we're paying attention. Yeah. So, I mean, if you took notes, wonderful. But if not, and you're wanting to know what those four points were, we just want you guys to know that on our website, under our podcast tab, we have transcripts that are available for you to look at. So you can actually download all of what Brenna spoke about and get those four points on paper that maybe you could, you know, look at and review with God over your quiet time and being still with Him. I know each one of those four points really spoke to me. Well, and again, marriage is such an important topic because Satan wants to continue to try to attack the family. And whether you are a child of divorce and you're bringing wounds Mm -hmm. into your relationship or whether, you know, you've, you've had some uh, rocky times in your own marriage, this is an important thing. Like you're saying, Robin, to sit in and think about, okay, how can, how can I apply this? What community do I need to surround myself with? What sin needs to be brought forward and how can I pour into my spouse in a fresh new New way. We hope that you love hearing these hidden gems this summer and that you can learn something, even if you've listened to them before, that in listening a second time, God shows you something brand new from every story. So as always, thank you for listening to Storytellers. Be sure to share the stories with friends, to rate it and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, especially during the summertime when people are looking for stories to hear. We are very, very grateful, and it does help people find our stories. And don't forget, if you want new content this summer, it's all over at our Patreon Insiders, where you can get bonus stories, you can get some Q&A questions, you can get various things all summer long as we do these hidden gem reposts. So thanks for listening. Katie, Lindy, and I will be back uh, with a season six recap on August 16th, and you'll get to hear what God has in store for season seven. So we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.